Go and take a seat, please. Uh, you may notice that we are not continuing with uh, First John. I was out in Bismarck uh, this week and um, spoke as a part of the workshop out there, and I might just be getting old and lazy. So I decided I would take uh, what was assigned to me there, uh, and I was going to just redo it, and I had to completely retweak it. That's how much I love you guys. Um, but we are going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, verses 5 and following uh, this morning. As a, uh, a Canadian citizen who was attending school in the States, I was required to have a visa called an F-1 visa. And as long as you're at school in the States, what you have to do is every year you go to the registrar and they sign the back of it so that customs can know, yes, in fact, I'm still in school and I'm still passing my grades. Well, on one occasion, I was uh, coming from uh, Beamsville, Ontario, into Buffalo, trying to drive across the border there, and the customs officer looked at my paper and was quite distraught to find it had been 13 months since the registrar had signed it. And so he looked at me with seriousness and with intentionality, and he said, Sir, do you have any proof that you're still in school? I thought, boy, it's my lucky day because the day before I had just got my brand new student ID that had my picture and had for the coming school year and said, oh, actually I do. Here's my student ID. He was not amused. He said, that is not the proof I'm looking for. And I said, well, I'm sorry, what proof are you looking for? And he said, this piece of paper signed. And I just had to re resign myself to the fact that I would not be able to give him a signature on that piece of paper. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Where you're asked to prove something in a way that was impossible for you to do? Paul finds himself in Corinth in a very similar sort of situation. There's these, these other teachers that are going around that Paul calls them false apostles. He calls them even with a sense of irony, these super apostles. And they are going around and they are trying to say, if Paul were really an apostle of God, he would prove it by doing certain things. And Paul, in fact, thinks that for him to do those things would be to invalidate his apostleship. And so those uh, false apostles, they go around and they're spreading these rumors about Paul. Now, luckily for you, I managed to hack their email account. And I, I have one of the emails that they sent, mass message to all the members in Corinth, and I'm going to read that to you now. Dear Corinthian brothers and sisters in Christ, we regret to inform you that Paul is not who he claims to be. Paul's weakness must disqualify him as an apostle, and therefore his gospel is disqualified too. If Paul were an apostle, would he not show and display greater power and have greater spiritual experiences? Where is Paul's apostolic power and authority? Paul is meek and humble and gentle. Paul is constantly getting beat up. He's getting taken advantage of. And how can an apostle of God not flex his muscles with boldness? How can the strongholds of Satan be destroyed by one as broken and as weak as Paul? Paul is a fool. Paul is low. Paul is a despised thing of this world. We urge you to consider the following facts. Paul's credentials pale in comparison to ours. Remind me where he got his degree from. 
Oh yeah, he didn't graduate, did he? He doesn't speak like a powerful leader. His words are not lofty or not infused with the rhetoric of wisdom. Could such a speaker really be an apostle of God? No one pays him any money for his ministry. Paul knows that his ministry isn't worth charging for. Paul lacks flashy spiritual gifts and heavenly visions. Shouldn't a great man of God have a list of amazing visions and revelations? We, on the other hand, have credentials and speak powerfully, and we have great spiritual visions. We are strong and powerful and influential people. If you really want to shake the foundations of hell, you should start doing things our way. We will teach you how to be bold in Christ. We will teach you how to stop losing and start winning. We will teach you how to make sure that those pagans around you stop bullying and harassing you. In the power of God, the true apostles of God. And it seems like some who are there are starting to buy into those arguments. And it's in the 13th chapter of 2 Corinthians that, that Paul is, speaks about preparing to make now a third visit to the church there. And Paul finds out, and we don't know what means or what way he finds out, but he finds out that some, when he comes on that third visit, desire proof that Christ is speaking in him. And so Paul is going to be subjected to their testing. They are going to stand as the judge, jury, and executioner. They've got their checklist ready to see if Paul is, in fact, an authentic apostle of Christ. But the problem for Paul is that he knows that they aren't really testing for the things that God tests for. He knows that the test is rigged by people who boast according to the flesh and who judge by worldly standards. And so we come to find that Paul now doesn't know what he ought to do for just this moment they're asking for him to prove himself. And everything that they're pointing to as proof, Paul says, those things actually discredit me as an apostle of Christ. Because Paul says throughout the letters he's been giving his proof of apostleship. One of those places is in, verse, in chapter 4, verse 7 and following. He says, but we have this treasure in clay jars so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We, were, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying around in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. So here's what Paul is saying. So you want proof that I'm an apostle? Look at all the suffering I've done. Look at all the weakness I've displayed. Look at in the eyes of the world how foolish I look. In fact, in this particular text, Paul is saying, if you look at me, my body will tell you that I'm an apostle of Christ. Well, how can his body be telling them anything? Because you have to imagine a man who's encountered several times 40 lashes minus one, who was stoned to a point, they stoned him, he wasn't stoned, but who was stoned to a point that they thought he was dead, do you think any of those things would show in his body? Bruised skin? Scars? Disfigured? Paul says, you can look at my body as proof that I am an apostle of Christ because I've been beat up. That's my proof. But from a worldly perspective, that's not proof of being an apostle of Christ. It's proof of being somebody who's weak, 
and somebody who's despised. And so what Paul is encountering is the very same thing that Jesus encountered, which was when Jesus went to the cross, remember what the people who mocked him said? They said, if you are the son of God, what would he do? Save yourself. Come down from the cross, because really anybody who is of God, who has the power of God, certainly would never be crucified, or certainly would never be stoned, or certainly would never have rocks thrown at them, or certainly never would be lashed like Paul was. But Paul's apostleship is the same as Christ's obedience. Look at how weak I am. Look at how much I suffer. And that will be proof to you that I am an apostle of God. And I think that it's possible that in this day and age, we can be judged not by God's standards, but by human standards. I mean, imagine somebody saying, hey, I'm thinking about coming to church where you go to church. But I, just, I just have a few questions because I just want to make sure that you're the real deal as a church. Uh, I'd like to know how many members have political connections. Because it's just really important to me to be a part of a church where people can really influence things in politics. And, and I would like to know how many of your members have launched successful six-figure businesses because it's really important for me to worship with people who know how to do business well. How much money did you spend on your church building? Because I think that, that only churches that are willing to spend multi-millions of dollars on church buildings, that's really a sign that a church is really a good church. I mean, doesn't that sort of thing happen to us all the time? People say, here's the test. That you are what you're supposed to be. And those of us who know the gospel of Christ say that is not in fact anything like what God would test us for. Do you think we would pass the test and would we even want to pass the test? See, Paul is only concerned about God and Christ's assessment of his ministry. And Paul says that he can be true to that and authentic to what God calls him to. But like Paul, are we willing to look foolish and weak? And to suffer for his name? Or are we like the false apostles who say we have to be strong and impressive and influential to the world? See, when we come back to our text, we find out that what Paul does in their request, that on the third visit they're going to, to ask him to prove his apostleship, he instead turns it around. And he writes to them and he says, examine yourselves to see whether you are living in the faith. Test yourselves so paul switches this around they're wanting him to come so they can test him and paul says you know what you would be much better off if in fact that you tested yourself and all through first and second corinthians paul has been talking about the importance of self-testing and we learn different things and different features in our lives as we look at um, testing the, the first thing that i think that we learn is that in the end god's going to administer a test and all of us will be subject to that. 1 Corinthians 3, uh, verses 12 and 13 says, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, the work of each builder will become visible. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. So, so Paul has already let the congregation know in a previous letter one day, the house is going to burn down, and God's going to be able to see the foundation. See, in this world, we can, we can have personas, we can hide things, 
We, we, can, we can present ourselves as something that we're not, but we all need to realize that there will come a day when all of that is stripped bare and we stand before God to be tested by him. It reminds me of what Soren Kierkegaard said when he said that at the midnight hour, all the masks come off. And he was talking about these masquerade parties that people would do, and they would, they would have these little masks, and you couldn't know who they were, and people would act in all sorts of inappropriate ways in that context. But Kierkegaard reminds us, there's going to come a point in time you're going to take that mask off, and everyone's going to know exactly who you are. And so Paul, as he's calling for self-examination, the realization is because you're not going to escape being tested. I mean, you might call in sick one day, but one day you will stand before God and be tested. We can hide from it, we can deny it, but all of us realize that we will be tested by God. And we will come to find, as Paul writes to the church, our self-testing may reveal things that we need to change. That's the, the text that, that Dane read to us. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be answerable for the body and blood of the Lord. Examine yourselves and only then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So again, this is not Paul's first time to say, hey, testing's coming. Self-examining's important. He said around the table, it's important that we examine ourselves. That, that, that we're honest in how we look at ourselves to say, am I doing this in a manner that's worthy? But if you're anything like all of the other humans who live on this world, there will be a part of you that wants to resist this self-testing. Seems to be human nature. Seems to have been around since the very beginning. Remember, if we go all the way back to the garden, when God said, hey, Adam, what were you doing? Did Adam examine himself to see where he was wrong? Did Adam confess, here's what I did wrong? Or did Adam say, you know what, God? She made me do it. See, it, it seems like rather than doing self-testing, what we would much rather do is do other testing and judge other people. For, for whatever reason, it seems like we have this notion that God's kind of like the law enforcement officer. Have you ever, I don't know if this happens in real life, but at least it does in the TVs and the movies. They, they, they find some lower level person in the organization and they say, we want you to turn state's evidence. And so we're really not concerned about you. Just give us evidence of somebody who's doing worse than you. And then we're going to let you go by with a slap on the wrist because we're after someone bigger. And a lot of us act like that's what we think that God's up to. And so whenever we realize that there's, there's some sin in, in our lives, when, when there's some brokenness within us, rather than dealing face to face with God with that, we'd much rather say, well, God, I would like you to know about my neighbor over there. Because they are doing far worse than anything that I've ever done. And we think that God will not be concerned with us if we can at least just find someone who's doing worse than us. The person who is more sinful. More steeped in their brokenness. So what we try to do is we try to adjust the spotlight. Because for whatever reason that seems safer. Our egos like it more than doing our self-examination. And after a little while of practicing this new art form of blaming others, we begin to find that our egos begin to respond in kind. And then when we look at other people, we will always think of ourselves as being hardworking and important and fair and sensitive, and everyone else becomes lazy and inconsiderate and needy and insensitive and lousy. And all of that stems from our unwillingness to examine ourselves, because it's so much easier to examine others. 
But there's a third thing that we learn about self-examination from uh, the books in, in Corinthians is that sometimes we may be encouraged by what we find during our self-testing. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, I think a lot of people, Christians generally have some sort of spiritual test anxiety. Like, I'm going to have to stand before God or I'm going to have to be accountable for God and I'm pretty sure I'm going to fail that test. But the example that we're looking at in 2 Corinthians 13, Paul wants them to test themselves not so that they're going to find out how bad, awful, terrible they are, but so they can find out and be encouraged that Christ is in them. And so let's look a little more closely at what Paul says. Examine yourselves to see whether you are living in the faith. Test yourselves. And so Paul's saying, do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you? He does leave open the possibility of failure unless indeed you fail to meet the test. But he is assuming that whenever they test themselves, when they do this self-examination, they're going to come to find Christ is in me. And that's really important to Paul because Paul will find that when Christ is in them, then somehow they must have been taught the gospel. And if they were taught the gospel, that means that the one who brought them the gospel was also doing what was right. So notice what he says in 13.6. I hope you will find out that we have not failed. See, so when they test themselves and they come to find that Christ is in them, they're going to find out what? Paul hasn't failed. The congregation hasn't failed. Because God has been faithful in this gospel message. See, if Christ is in them, then the one who taught them Christ must also have Christ in them. So what Paul is really doing, he's just handcuffing himself to these Corinthians. And he's saying, hey, if you pass the test, I pass the test. But if you fail the test, I'm also going to fail the test. And he's been doing it for several chapters. In 10.7, he said, look at what is before your eyes. If you are confident that you belong to Christ, remind yourself of this. That just as you be belonging to Christ, so also do we. Paul wants them, when they examine themselves, to say, Christ is in me. And as they affirm and as they validate that, they'll come to find that Paul also is an apostle of Christ. And so he says, For we rejoice when we are weak, and you are strong. That is what we pray for, that you may become perfect. And so Paul is saying, look, people will call me... A sufferer, people will call me a fool, people will call me weak, but as long as I bring you the gospel, it's all that's important to me. If, if I die in the process of bringing you life, that's all I care about. Paul kind of sounds like somebody else in the New Testament, doesn't he, when he talks like that? But one person who says, I will die so that you can have life. See, see, the cross is not just something that was done one time that is never to be repeated again. But the cross is an example for all of us who are ministers of the gospel. That the way we bring life sometimes is through our own death. The way we bring strength is sometimes through our own weakness. The way we bring wisdom is sometimes by our own foolishness. And so Paul here rejoices because the people are becoming perfect see we know that one day we will all be tested and so God Paul calls us to be involved constantly in testing ourselves and our self-testing if it's always shaming and demoralizing we're probably doing something wrong do you think God says test yourself because I want you to just realize how hopeless you are 
Or do you think he wants us to come to find that Christ is in us? And if Christ is in us, even in the midst of our sinfulness and even in the midst of our weakness, we'll come to find that we can be strong in the midst of what Christ does. One of, I think, for, for me, the most helpful examples of self-examination is, uh, this is a guy named Ignatius. He introduced the thing called daily examine, and that's spelt right. It's the Latin for examine. But he says, every day, at some point, pick a time. Take five minutes and go through this process. And I found this to be a helpful thing. First, become aware of God's presence. Do you ever just get busy? God's always present, but we're not always aware that he's present. And so we stop and we just remind ourselves that God is there present with us. And then we review the day with gratitude. If God is gracious, and if God is faithful as we've talked about him being in Scripture, then do you think there's anything in your life for which you can be thankful for? That you can examine that day and say, God has been faithful to me, and begin to list those ways. And the third thing is to pay attention to your emotions and to ask for grace to know your sins. Because there's going to be something within us that doesn't want to see our sinfulness. Unless we do that aside at the very foot of the cross. See, when we've come to find our sinfulness and we do it at the foot of the cross, we find our sinfulness, but we also find our solution. God's enduring forgiveness. This is where our John comes back in. If we confess our sins, he is what? He is faithful and just and forgives us of all unrighteousness. And the fourth thing is to choose one feature from the day and to pray from it. Maybe it's a prayer of celebration. Uh, uh, celebrating that Christ is in me. Me, of all people. Maybe it's a prayer of repentance. As we become aware of our sin, we ask for God's cleansing. But we choose one thing from our examine, and we pray from it. And the next is to look forward to tomorrow or to the rest of the day. You pray into the rest of the day that God will continue to be with you, enabling you and equipping you. This daily examine is just, just one way that we make sure we're participating in this process of self-examination that Paul says is so important. So if self-examination scares you, the first question you have to ask yourself is, is Christ in me? Well, how, how would I know if Christ is in me? As you look through Scripture, we come to find that there, there is a way in which we come into union with Christ. We die in the waters of baptism. So testing ourselves should be a fearful thing if we are outside of Christ. And if we don't have Christ. And so if in the process of your self-examination this morning you say, I am outside of Christ, then this is a day to make that right. To know that when you test yourself, you will come to find that Christ is within you. But, but if you are already a Christian and you still continue to struggle with fear of self-examination, maybe you need somebody to pray with you. To talk not just about the power of your sin, but also the power of God's gospel and the power of salvation in Jesus Christ. See, self-examination should not be a fearful thing. Because Paul ends his letter to the Corinthians in a way that we end our sermons every week. Not saying, examine yourselves and you're going to find out how awful or terrible you are. Now go have a nice day. This is how Paul ends his letter to the Corinthians. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. 
When we examine ourselves, it is not meant to be something where we beat ourselves up, but we go forward finding Christ in us. And when Christ is in us, we know the love of God. We know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can go forward into the day with the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. If you'd like to respond in any way, um, I'll be in the back. Some other folks will be in the back. Um, If self-examination is a scary thing, maybe we could pray with you about that. Maybe we could talk about what's next in your life. But if you want to respond in any way, I invite you to come to the back while we stand and sing this next song. You are Lord of creation.